Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words, a new season. Season 11. Sounds so weird. We say this every single time. I know, but every single time it's a new number. So (laughs) insert chat about how we can't believe it's been this long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God, that's ridiculous. Um, But yeah, lots changed since the end of season 10. Yes, so... I now live in the UK properly. Our dog's here and everything. It's great. Um, And yeah, very exciting. All very exciting. Um, And my new recording setup is in my office with my bookshelves behind me, which I feel like is very fitting for better words. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. And there's also, I can always see behind you, a print that I got you, um, which is um, a Milo tin full of native flowers. <laughs> I love it. It's so pretty. And there's also, you can't see in this video, and obviously everyone listening can't see because this is an audio medium, um, but I have some vintage Scrabble tiles and they say better words. So yeah, I've got like one side of my bookshelf, I've got like wedding pictures and then the other side I've got like painting from you and um, better words. So <laughs> yeah. So cute. Because I do believe bookshelves need to be, like, decorative as well, right? It's funny, though, because I... um, Not just functional. Yeah, and I'll I'll link to the TikTok videos that I made of me putting my bookshelves together. But I sort of realised when I put them together that because obviously a lot of this is books that we shipped over... um, the the side that is the books that I've read and loved looks very small in comparison because so many books that I had read but didn't love love I donated so it looks like I just and you were don't very read much. <laughs> very ruthless yeah you had to be very ruthless obviously to ship books internationally it's a big deal so it really is like the top of the top of the top yeah and then books that I haven't read yet but want to so obviously yeah. that, that my TBR pile side is a lot bigger and I've tried to do yeah one side to be read one side read a section for rereads that I want to do soon as well just to try something different I always love talking about bookshelf organization like how are you gonna do it like yeah I can't I can't do a rainbow I just get to like I'm like but what about if I have authors that I want to put together and all that sort of stuff so I just can't I've got I feel like I've got too many books to do that so I tried to roughly like group still by like non-fiction fiction but in the TBR sort of pile and stuff yeah Yeah. so I feel like I'm gonna have to obviously rearrange it when I get to a certain point that's why I've never done a TBR section before um so yeah well it's a it's always a work in progress anyway I love I love the I like arranging bookshelves I took a whole day to do it it was so much fun and yeah Yeah. unpacking my books I was like oh I forgot that I packed this one and yeah it was really fun (laughs) so exciting um the other thing that I feel like I feel like we need to like just let people know at the start of this is that if you are a Spotify user um, 
first of all, please give us five stars on Spotify. Just if you're listening to this <laughs> yep, on Spotify. Follow all of that. <laughs> follow. Um, but if you're a Spotify user and you pay for premium, and if you're on a family plan, you're like the account holder, then you get free audiobooks now. Well, not free because you pay for them, but you get up to 15 hours of audiobooks included in your membership, which is brilliant because I've been putting off buying a subscription for like Audible again. I don't love mm. Amazon um, despite using it sometimes for Prime. Um, but I was like, oh, I already pay for Spotify. Like I'll just use BorrowBox for my library, but... I find over here a lot of the books are, like, checked out that I want to read and stuff. Um, Anyway, problem solved because now on Spotify, if you already pay for that, it's included. So, yeah, they've got, like, so many books. Um, I've added a bunch. You can, like, add them to your library as well. So now I've got a TBR on on Spotify too. That's incredible. I, unfortunately, am not the account holder my family plan so I don't redeem this benefit at the moment but I think it is so cool it's obviously huge news in the book world and I think it will be really interesting to see how many people unfortunately yeah cancel their audible subscription um but also hopefully it encourages people to try audiobooks maybe if they haven't been an audiobook listener and haven't listened to that many because if it's included like why not give why it not a go? try it but, yeah probably particularly with like you know big non-fiction that's like read by the author and things like that um that's what yeah. I tend to prefer on audio anyway. So I'm actually listening to one that I've been wanting to read for a while called Strong Female Character by Fern Brady. And it's about her um, experiences and diagnosis uh, with autism as an adult woman and just um, oh. kind of goes back into her life a lot, a lot of the ways that things showed up but were missed or misdiagnosed and stuff. But I... I, I, memoirs read by the author, like, I love reading a memoir as well, but like, there is something nice about hearing them say it with all the inflections and, you know, obviously it's like them telling their story. So I've got a bunch of, um, audio sort of things saved, including, um, we did a post of trans book recommendations as well. And one of the ones that I, that came out a few months ago that I've been really wanting to read is called Becoming Us. So that's on my next next up once I finish Fern's book as well um so yeah if you're on Spotify like check it out there's so many so many this is another way to have like a TBR thing (laughs) yeah exactly just add it to that ever-growing list always (laughs) yeah but yeah Yeah, nice fun little announcement if you're on Spotify also it's nearly Spotify wrapped season (laughs) I know (laughs) I love I love Spotify wrapped Oh my god, I'm excited. We'll have to um, compare notes for sure, Michelle. I wonder how high Maisie Peters is going to be. I feel like I've gone from being like in the top 1% of Queen listeners because I used to only listen to my Get Excited playlist and then I switched all my stuff to Spotify and now it'll just be like, I'll be like in the top 1% for Maisie Peters or something and it'll be like <laughs> completely, my, my, I, I think that my list is going to be like a complete transformation from last year based on my listening habits but this is also the first year that I've fully listened 
to all my podcasts on Spotify. So I think that will be yes, very me interesting too. as well. Yeah. I feel like we probably talked about this last year and we were both mm. like, we're making an official we're switch. Making a move. <laughs> <laughs> I just Which love the stats. Kind of ridiculous, I love the stats. Yeah. Oh my you God. know, we, we need stats a wrapped so for, um, we both use Storygraph. I feel like we need a wrapped for Storygraph as well. I mean, we've got all the things on there. We'll do that in our final episode of the year, probably do some stats from yeah. our Storygraph. I think that would be quite fun. Um, I bumped my goal up um, the other day because I was almost at it. And so I was like, I'll just do it a little bit extra. I've still got two months to go. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so exciting. I know. I think I'm a bit behind. I should go back. I have to go in and update my story graph, I think. I'm probably a touch behind at the moment. I set mine at 50 and I've been like nine books ahead for like the whole year. So, yeah oh my god I know Brag. I just changed it I'm <laughs> no, kidding I, I just changed it to I just changed it to 60 so we'll see if I if I get there but you know I credit this podcast with making me read a lot of stuff so oh totally yeah. <laughs> um this is, yeah of... we're, we're on a tangent already but yes we yeah. definitely have to cover some stats in our end of year episode um but yeah. yes what we are supposed to be doing in this introduction <laughs> is book club our first one of season 11. Yay. And this one um, is a book that I'd seen around for a while and really wanted to read. And I picked it up and then I was like, I think Caitlin would really like this too. Um, so it is and called... you are right. <laughs> it is called Straight Expectations by Callum McSwiggan. And it's not his first book. He's written um, like a memoir travel book before. Um, but it is his first novel um, and first YA. So um, the premise basically is that Max is kind of just being a pretentious little brat, really, and we'll get into to Max a little <laughs> bit, I'm sure, but he has a big fight. He's really out. He's out and proud. He's, got, he's in, like, the queer club at school and he's got some wonderful um, best friends, one of whom, Alicia, is... Um, he's is straight, but she's in queer club, and she's also best friends with like their mutual best friend Dean, who is I just sort of pictured Eric from Sex Education, but like musical yeah. theatre Eric. <laughs> Me too, musical theatre Eric. Yeah, <laughs> Dean is also out and proud, but yeah, is like the star of every school musical. Um, and at the very beginning of this book, he is playing Audrey Two in drag in Little Shop of Horrors. Which is incredible. And he obviously (laughs) dreams of being on the stage and like he's got all Mm. these auditions that he's freaking out for to try and get into his musical theatre program. It's um, like the last year of school or the second last year of school maybe like they're gearing up to, yes, because they say they've got like a year left. Um, Anyway, basically... Max, I love actually this reference in there. They're they're watching Freaky Friday um, and, you know, he sort of is thinking about all that. Anyway, they have a big fight and he he says, I just want an easy life like all the straight kids have. I just wish we'd never been friends. Um, And then he goes home and when he wakes up in the morning, he feels a bit different because he's straight and things have changed. Like his parents have stayed together and so they're fighting and you know things are really weird yeah. and suddenly like Alicia is not just his best friend she's his girlfriend and it's all very weird um so yes. yeah he has to figure out what the hell is going on and yeah it unfolds from there and it's described as what if it's us meets one last stop in this deliciously swoony queer romance 
yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, also, Max are... has a massive crush on this guy called Oliver. And in the straight world, because he has, like, the, the gay world and the straight world. In straight world, Oliver is gay, obviously, still. But he's his best friend. So he starts getting to learn about Oliver as a friend, not just the the object of his unrequited love. <laughs> um, yes. So, yeah. And, yeah. And it's so funny because he questions whether or not he would really like Oliver and um but it's it's straight max like in his head being like I don't get it he's not hot like yeah. what's going like, on what what did was... I see what it's like he knows that he used to be gay but then the feelings don't match up like he's suddenly like yeah. a woman's in front of him and he's like oh I'm feeling something and I, I can't yeah. control it and like he's and even with yeah. his best friend Alicia who in this like world is his girlfriend he's like Obviously, I always knew that she was pretty, and he's like, but suddenly I'm like staring at her tits and stuff. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, the concept for this book is like so ridiculous and so camp and so fun. It is so much fun to read. Oh my God. It was the I last mean, two I days. I read it essentially in two sittings. Yeah, I read it the last two days, um, like on the train, like sort of to and from work and stuff like that. And this morning the train was kind of busy um, and I, so context for the day, today I am wearing a uh, like Dangerfield dress that is black that has a print on it, unicorn tears. So it's like purple unicorn tears and I'm also wearing my Dangerfield dress big rainbow chunky cardigan which is very bright and I always get lots of compliments on it and then I sat down on the train on this grey rainy you know why isn't it getting warmer Sydney morning with all of these busy people and I pull out this book called Straight Expectations that's like hot pink and has a giant rainbow on the cover and I'm like in my rainbow cardi and I, I really think the person sitting like opposite me on like the train seat was like what? <laughs> But, oh, my God, I was having a good time. I was probably it's having a better a time than everyone book. else on the train. Yeah, it's such a fun book. Um, and you know what's really nice about this is we very rarely do, um, or like, talk about books like this where it is, like, male best friends in the spotlight. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night. And even though there's, like, a, a love interest in it, you know, like... I'm trying to think, like, I guess that maybe the closest would, I was going to say one of Tobias Madden's books, but then that's more, it's still like a romantic relationship. Like in um, Noah Mitchell, it's still, yeah. they're friends, but it's like, he doesn't know that, like, they're, they're, there's a, one of them is in love with the other one. Um, yeah. You know, whereas this is genuinely like Dean and um, Max and also then in Straight World, Max and Ollie. It's just guys Really are just friends. platonic best bro yeah. buds. <laughs> yeah. And I loved the other thing that you start to sort of unpick in this, obviously, is Max is like, what the hell, everything's changed. But then he slowly starts to realize that maybe not everything in his personality has changed. Like he was like, ooh, actually, mm. looking at um, Straight Max's closet, he's like, ooh, actually, like Straight Max did sort of have like, it's a straight boy style, but like he still had a bit of style. And like he starts then trying to, I guess, like 
show his queer personality within Straight Max and he comes up against obviously some assumptions and some things so that sort of challenges that but yeah it's quite interesting that he realizes that like his interest in fashion particularly is not a gay max thing it's just a max thing it's just a max thing yeah I found that really um enjoyable to read about like yes in this um book it is about max discovering that he actually does care about fashion maybe more than he thought and is more interested in it than he thought but also that exploration of um as you know a young flamboyant gay teenager it's like yes there are things that maybe yeah um, are specifically queer interests but there are a lot of those things that he is still interested in as like straight max that maybe people think straight max wouldn't be interested in and it's like well not any one of these one things defines a person like you can be interested in whatever you want and it actually has nothing to do with who you're attracted to yeah or how you identify yeah and that is just really nice to read about isn't it yeah and so the other thing of course that he realizes is that he and dean aren't best friends in straight world because he's not gay and actually he may have bullied dean as well um and so he's sort of trying to grapple with that and the sort of person that maybe he was as straight max um and that sort of gives him that moment of clarity of like because he has this whole thing about this guy in the book um, and he he says basically once a homophobe, always a homophobe and he doesn't let Mm. him apologise and then when he realises maybe he did that too, it it is that moment of like, oh, actually, you know, maybe people can change and maybe people are ignorant and it's still wrong, don't get me wrong, I'm not like defending that but as kids they you know said some things and maybe that shouldn't be held against them forevermore um because they can change because um that's sort of something that sort of he has to sort of grapple with um when yeah. you know he does get back to gay world as well reality <laughs> yeah reality yeah, i don't totally. know like gay world because, i yeah, feel like it's like barbie world, land reality, reality like yeah kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because especially in this scenario when what they're talking about is like this you know, this bully in Max's mind was, you know, bullied them when they were all in like, I don't know, year five or yeah, something, wasn't it? Like they, little, were like they were like eight nine to or 12 years yeah. old. Yeah. And now as, you know, at about 17 or whatever, when they've got a year left of school, he, there are more queer kids out and about at school. Um, and this bully is like friends with a couple of them and he does continue to try to apologize to Max and Dean and they don't let him. And that's actually a lot of time for, growth um and to learn more about you know the community and maybe what they used to say so yeah it's very interesting but um the other thing that I loved in this book uh is of all the differences between Max's reality gay world Barbie world um and (laughs) straight world um is that there are like when Max sort of is at school in straight world and he's straight, uh, Oliver, his friend, um, is the only queer kid out at school. So yeah. there's not that community that he's used to experiencing. There's no queer club. Um, a lot of his other friends that he knows 
um, aren't aren't out. He sees them around and he realizes that they aren't out. He um, even a couple of their teachers mm. aren't as involved in the community and as supportive, even though I think they are out. But yeah, it's really interesting that thing of um, in like time slip, alternate reality kind of books, TV shows, movies, where it's like if you go back and something changes, it's like what's the ripple effect? Yeah. And I guess without Max and Dean connecting and finding each other when they were younger, it it doesn't continue to spread throughout their school community in the way that it obviously did in reality. Yeah, because Ollie is like a new kid. He's only been at the school for like a year. So it yeah, would have taken Dean and Max being the, the out and proud queer kids to sort of encourage other people yeah, to, to, create to all be of brave. That, um, community. Yeah. 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 And um obviously something like the thing that they that Dean and Max fight about is a really interesting discussion as well because Dean is black and Max is white. And Max keeps saying, Don't worry about your additions. You're absolutely gonna smash it. And I I think Alicia is like mixed as well. Um and so they sort of say no like you don't understand like this is a big deal um and he just sort of doesn't listen and so they have a fight over the fact that yes he's gay and he's had to sort of face some prejudices but essentially he is still like a pretty privileged white kid um and he just doesn't like I said he was being a little he throws a bit of a tantrum he's like no you just don't get how hard my life is because I don't have a boyfriend I just want my life to be easy like all the straight kids and they're like you're being ridiculous (laughs) he also in this you know YA um classic thing he doesn't have a plan they both know Mm. what they want to do at university or like college or continue on with their career and um, yes, in a very privileged position, Max is like, well, my parents will fund a travelling gap year for me, but I don't know if I want that. And they're like, you idiot, go yeah. on the trip. And they're also um, like, you don't know how lucky you are. And he's like, but I'm not because my crush doesn't know that I like him. Yeah. And they're like, you're being stupid. Um, which he is, because we can say that because we're like yeah. late 20s women. And he women. figures that out too. <laughs> yeah, he figures yeah. it out. But yeah, it just that thing at the start, I was like, oh, Max, you know, and sometimes and I, I understand as well when people read YA, some, or, or that can be the thing that puts them off YA. This was incredibly fun. You just have to get through that first bit where you're like, yeah. like I'm an adult and I understand where that this teenagers is being act silly. like teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But honestly, like such, such fun to read. Such fun. Um, and yeah, like it's just, oh, it's just so good. Um, I it's yeah like I said devout it in two sittings I'm really excited to know that um Callum McSwiggan has another book coming out um early next year let me just get the it's called Masquerade so um yeah it's called Masquerade and it's coming out sort of mid next year over here um and it's the prom meets Groundhog Day so it's a like time loop novel um yeah, prom night's supposed to be the night you remember for your whole life, but 17-year-old Zach is about to become his whole life. After a kiss from a masked stranger, Zach finds himself stuck in a time loop, endlessly repeating the same day. The only way to break the cycle is to work out the identity of his mystery admirer. But whenever he... 
But when everyone around him is wearing masks of one kind or another, how can he ever find out who his true love might be? So that I think will be very fun. Um, I just adore the sound of that. There was a character called Zach in straight expectations so i wonder if it's still in the same world oh, I sort was of hope it is. i'm pretty sure that it was alicia's ex-boyfriend <gasps> maybe oh oh i wonder if that's a coincidence or if they're going to be connected yeah i'd love if it was like in the same world and maybe if it happened at, at prom night because they sort of talk about prom obviously in in this book as well oh. Yeah, I don't know though. I don't know. Um, that's okay. just, I we just might be like, we might be grasping at straws there, but definitely that but... sounds very fun. <laughs> I do love the sound. I do love a time loop. I love a time slip. I love yeah. like the parallel universe. It all of this stuff is so fun. Oh, you know what the time slip reminds me of? Palm Springs, the Andy Sandberg yeah. and Kristen Marty. Which I have not that watched yet, but you movie. told me about. I need to, <gasps> I need to watch you? it. No, I haven't. Oh my god, you do! It's so good. <laughs> Um, if anyone yeah. ever has a time slip or time loop recommendation for me, I'm in for it. Yes, yes, please let us know. Um, but yeah, that was Straight Expectations by Callum McSwiggan. Really loved it. We'll definitely be reading more of his work um, yes, when it 100%. comes out. Like, it's so sweet. And I can't remember where I actually got this recommendation originally, but I feel like it was either someone who we've had on the podcast or who we're going to have on the podcast who I follow who always posts good recommendations um and I was like oh that cover looks really cool and actually fun fact I bought it at gaze the word which is referenced in the book so yes it is yeah yeah that Um, was fun so no, yeah, I'd never cute. heard of it I until you that. suggested it, but um, I was down. Yeah. It was great. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I just happened to buy it there. I didn't know that it was referenced in there, but I thought, I was like, oh, that's so cute. And I was like so tempted to just like get a little pencil or something and be like, I bought this book there. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, me defacing my books. Um, so yeah, that was really fun. Um, and next week we're going to just have some recommendations as well. Um we hope that you enjoy um our chat actually that's the other thing i wanted to say since we uh, just after we recorded this chat with claire um and we were sort of talking about books coming out um sort of set around the world cup and everything um and she mentioned one which i've linked in the show notes um but then literally like the next day I saw another one and actually was a signing at Gaze the Word um and I thought oh this is like too perfect not to mention um and it's called Hot Shot by another Claire Claire Lydon um and it is about a U.S. soccer sensation who arrives in the UK um causes quite a stir um and yeah lesbian romance there as well um so yeah if you do listen to this chat and you are like yes I want more sort of women's football stories and stuff Claire does recommend one put it in the show notes and then this is another one that's like just come out um as well which might be might be fun um so yeah we hope you enjoy yes enjoy our first interview of the season Our guest today was born and raised in regional Queensland. 
She studied in Brisbane before moving to Sydney for an internship at the Walkley Foundation for Journalism, which as a journalist, I find so impressive. <laughs> and she's been there ever since, apart from a few years freelancing and falling in love in New York, which sounds like, like a fairy tale rom com. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe that's what inspired our guest uh, to write her brilliant rom-com novels. So her debut novel, Five Bush Weddings, was published in 2022. And today she is joining us to discuss her new book, Love Match. Welcome to Better Words, Claire Fletcher. Thanks so much for having me. We love rom-coms. We just love talking about <laughs> We have, we admitted, we have a bit of a soft spot for anyone else who's from regional Queensland. So, <laughs> um, you know, I bet people listening are going to be like, oh my God, their Queensland accents are like so strong or something. <laughs> I don't know. I can never tell. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't really think I d- any of us probably I don't have think, Queensland but then accents, again, but maybe we'll let someone else Yeah, decide. and my British friends who've lived in Australia say that we do sometimes sound very Queensland, so yeah. I'm very conscious of it. I don't want to sound bogan. <laughs> Which I know is the perception of Queensland. <laughs> it depends who you're around a bit, doesn't it? I mean It does. My husband is American. We met in New York and um yeah, his family think he has such a strong Australian <laughs> accent now, but to me it's so gentle. Um and yeah, obviously I sound like an absolute bogan t- to them. <laughs> yeah, I think see this is yeah. the thing, I think three Queenslanders together we might just start, you know, sounding a bit more. We might yes. bring it out of each other. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's so lovely to have you and we will just note that if you hear any background noise, it is bedtime for Claire's daughter and things haven't quite gone to plan tonight. So I think, think things are all good, touch wood. Um, but yeah, just in case that, that happens and you hear that in the background, um, that is why, because life happens and as listeners will know, we're all recording at home. We're not professional by any means. So these things happen, but um, yeah, it's so lovely to have you. And of course, the the best place to start would be by asking you to tell us a little bit about Love Match. That's a great question. I should really be better prepared to answer it by now. (laughs) Um, I think I would describe Love Match as a romantic comedy that's all about small towns. And uh, I guess, you know, a small town is a wonderful place and also can be a really challenging place for a lot of the same reasons so some of the best things are also some of the hardest things about living in a small town Um, and Love Match is set in a completely fictional town called South Star Um, but I was drawing on my own experiences growing up in regional Queensland and you know stories that I'd heard from friends Um, and I really wanted to explore you know, in Five Bush Weddings, I was looking at a heroine who had always felt really torn between staying in the bush or moving away to the city. Um, she was really drawn to the idea of anonymity and reinventing herself. And it can be very hard to do that in a small community where everyone knows everything about you. And in Love Match, I wanted to look at a, a woman who knows absolutely that she wants to stay, but still struggles with some of the challenges of small town living. So it's a story that's a lot about kind of gossip and expectations um, and about, uh, you know, when I started writing the story, I knew that I wanted to tell a love story between women. It's a, it's a queer romance ultimately in this book. And I thought, you know, what would it be like trying to figure out that identity on the stage of a small town when everyone knows you and has certain expectations? It would be really challenging um, to figure out who you are. Uh, And so the main character, Sarah Childs, kind of goes through this journey 
largely driven by um, joining a women's rugby team in the town. Um, so it's kind of about sport and finding yourself through moving your body and making new friends, um, figuring out where you fit in a community. And there's also a historical plot line. Um, digging back into the sort of origin story of a character that um, readers who've read Five Bush Weddings might recognise called Mabel Peters, uh, who's such a big gossip that she's known as the Bush Telegraph. Um, and so we go back to the 1960s to really find out how she became who she is today. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's a great yes. summary. Well, I mean, and so it signposts a lot of the things. That's an excellent summary. You did very yeah, well. like you've sort of hinted at a lot of the things we're going to ask you um, throughout and sort of stuff that we're going to talk about. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like a couple of elements. First of all, I feel like the small town romance is something we get a lot in Hallmark movies in terms of like in a very American setting. And like, yes, it's it's similar, like in terms of community elements, everybody knowing everybody else, all that sort of stuff translates. But, you know, it's so nice to see the towns that maybe Caitlin and I recognise from around our regional city and from our friends and stuff. Like, it's nice to see that reflected for once as well. Like a small town in Australia is so different from like that Hallmark movie romance. So... You know, it's it was great to see. And there's, you know, as you say, like, there's so many things to love about it, but there's also so much humour. Like, I think, like, it's such a rich place to mine for very interesting characters. Um, but I think, too, something that obviously you reflect on in this book is that Sarah really loves her life there. She loves the proper she's not going anywhere. In fact, she really, really wants to convince her parents that she is the person to take over the family property. But I guess, like, what she's got to grapple with in this book is maybe, like you said, sometimes the things that are good about a place and maybe the things that she loves are also the things that make it difficult to maybe find your identity and find yourself. So, you know, it's really interesting to see her have to deal with that, like, understanding yourself, which is hard enough in any setting, within the small town setting as well. Um, So, yeah, it all kind of makes it really interesting to read and, like, a really dynamic story to read about as well I love what you said about the hallmark um small town romances and (laughs) you know I don't want to pretend that I've like invented the small town kind of romance in Australia we've got a really rich and beautiful tradition of rural romance um and some really excellent writers working in that space which you know so hard to say that genre though as I think you found on your I was listening we're going to talk about your podcast with Karina May a bit later but I was listening (laughs) and you both were trying to say rural romance and I was like thinking back to being traumatized trying to say hi I'm calling from the rural weekly it's rural rural is the worst word to say it really is there's not enough done about this it's a terrible word to say and when you work for a regional yeah, everyone rural. says rural. I mean yeah that might be what's holding yeah but like when back. you when you work for a regional newspaper that the, the word rural gets said a lot and then I had to do it on radio and stuff as well like it's it's a horrible word to say it's worse than it's worse than spelling bureau of meteorology yeah Yeah, no which in that meteorology is not even the most difficult word to spell it's always bureau how do you spell that anyway that's an insight into what goes on in my brain sometimes but yeah rural romance obviously is is absolutely massive and oh my gosh I remember I I mentioned before we got on here that I went to a, a boarding school I was a day student but you know oh the borders from from all the country areas were always reading like I can't even think of the names now I can just visualize the covers 
um, of these books and they were yeah. always reading these rural romance It's always books. a woman in a cowboy hat, but, yeah. I mean, the classics would be, like, your Rachel Treasure. Um, but, you know, working yes. now, like, someone like Maya Linnell is writing really beautiful stories. Um, I love what Penelope Janu does. Um, but I suppose, like, I didn't feel like I'd seen the places where I grew up on the page. Like, even if you think of a McLeod's Daughters, it's always rolling hills and vineyards and beautiful green places and, um, you know, where yeah. we're from. And I'm from a different area to both of you, but, you know, it's not the most beautiful place in the world, but there's still something really special and I think something that you can romanticise. Yeah, there's yeah. something different about Queensland. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is a different... Yeah. It's such a <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But then, even if if you're thinking about that, like there's so many elements that you bring into this that people, anyone who's lived in like a country town will recognise, or anyone who knows people, like you know, the races being a chance to get like frocked up, and you know the the idea of that. I, th- I love that they mentioned the the bachelor and spinster balls. <laughs> it's such a one thing I think is. Like, obviously the setting is wonderful and, like, we've really connected with it. But um, I really enjoyed reading about Sarah really wanting to stay because, obviously, we're all, cu- we're all you know, talking from we, we didn't stay. <laughs> we've all left. Um, and so was that an interesting thing to write about? Because, obviously, you have also left like how do you write about someone who wants to stay in that world it's so funny like a lot of the themes um and the deeper thoughts in these books are things that only really occur to me after I've finished writing them and especially after (laughs) five wish weddings when I was starting to think about how I would talk about it publicly this idea of the kind of dichotomy between the people who go away and the people who stay um just felt really important to me and obviously I am one of the ones that went away and I think writing these books has been a really sort of extended love letter to the town where I'm from St George and also a kind of apology for leaving and I think you know I thought a lot about using real place names um, in Five Bush Weddings which kind of moves around the state a lot more and I did leave a lot of those in um, but I was conscious that in this second story, I was going to really dig into a small town. So at the very like 11th hour. Yeah, and one place in particular. Yeah, really late in the editing process. I kind of chickened out and was like, I've got to take St. George out of out of this. Because, you know, you really, I guess, hold yourself to a bit more scrutiny when you're using real places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to write for the people who are in those places to recognise themselves. And so if you, if they hit something that's not accurate even though it is fiction and I think there's a certain suspension of disbelief, it's those little details that I didn't want people to take take them out of the action. I was also really conscious, like I'm a townie bogan, like I've never lived or worked on the land, so I really had to um, lean on some friends who have more lived experience of agriculture because, um, again, those are the details that it's, it's not like a huge part of the books, but it, it needs to be authentic enough that you feel, you know, you're drawn along with it and I didn't want any weird details to um not ring true so yeah I've always like got some old friends to read things and make sure that it's working it was the same with the rugby because I've never played and it's the code that I know the least so I really had to bring in some kind of experts (laughs) to make sure that I had all the action (laughs) right fair enough we always have to ask for help but yeah no it's yes I thought that that was an interesting thing to read about and I I think I surprised myself when reading Love Match by how much I liked Sarah because I read 
five bush weddings immediately prior. <laughs> and then, and I was like, okay, great. Now on to love match, knowing we were going to interview you. And I read the blurb again and I was like, oh, this book's about Sarah. I was like, oh, I didn't really care about Sarah. But of course in five bush weddings, we're supposed to want Jono and Stevie together. And Sarah is very much a side character. And then I was like, oh, and then I immediately fell in love with her and it was wonderful. But how did you decide to follow Sarah in this second story? Yeah, it was pretty random. Um, I, I think it was my mentor, Emily Maguire, after she had like read some sections or maybe after she'd looked over the finished manuscript for Five Bush Weddings was sort of like, what happens to Sarah? Because, you know, we know that she's broken up with Jono, but we don't really see her again on the page because she is a very minor oh. character in that story. Isn't it interesting how I didn't care at all? I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither did I. Um, but Emily was like, yeah, what, what happens to her? It feels like there's more to her. Um and yeah, I don't know. It just immediately, mm, and there clearly was. Yeah, I mean, there's always a certain alchemy to this sort of writing, and and I'm finding it increasingly because I have quite a cast of characters now. You know, Five Bush Weddings was supposed yeah. to be a one-off, and then, um, you know, I started thinking about Sarah, and I was like, oh, she's going to play footy. Oh, she's going to fall in love with a girl. She's going to freak out. Um, and I loved the idea of having a kind of parallel or a contrast with Mabel's experience much earlier and how things had played out differently for them and, and how that would feel for Mabel to kind of see someone maybe go through an experience that mirrored her own and kind of be confronted with some of the decisions that she'd made. Um, and, you know, yeah, just really that whole sort of small town experience. Um, yeah, so the idea kind of happened straight away and I had written quite a lot of the book before I started to think about why I'd actually <laughs> decided to do that and... Uh, yeah, it kind of took on a life of its own. That's amazing. I mean, any plans to continue with, uh, you know, offshoot characters? Yes, well, I would have said no a couple of months ago and then someone made a rogue suggestion and, um, yeah, it's taken root a little bit. So I can't really share any uh, ideas without spoiling no, the early. end. That's okay. But, but yeah, all these rogue yeah. suggestions, like, love it. I'm very suggestible, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so you did mention Mabel there, of course. And what I'm really fascinated with, because I've always loved fashion, of course, the sort of things I want to ask you about Mabel are actually like, how did you decide to sort of tell her story through this amazing collection of vintage dresses that she owns? And um kind of why did you decide to do it that way rather than maybe doing a dual point of view or something like that? Yeah, again, it was kind of instinctive, um, but I also, I mean, the working title for this book was The Seven Best Dresses of Mabel Peters, which is, you know, a pretty clear nod to The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and there's some similar territory, um, you know, it was a real touch point for me in writing this story. But I just love the idea of having like some tangible things that could be something that Mabel and Sarah were looking at together that would be these kind of anchor points to go back in time or a key to unlock a certain memory. Um, and I had written Mabel in Five Bush Weddings as being kind of a tizzy dresser who was always like quite vain about what she wore. And uh, yeah, so the idea that she had this collection of clothing over the decades that she had amassed just seemed like a good way to go into her past it, it was never intended that the two storylines would have equal weight like Mabel's was always going to be a bit more of a garnish on the side but 
yeah, I just, there's something really powerful about clothing. I think we all remember where we got something or where we wore it. It can hold a lot of memory, especially for women. Um, And the funny thing was that I had decided that I was going to do this. I had decided there would be like seven items of clothing. I had, you know, I think I had the title at that point and I was doing some research trying to find pictures of dresses so that I could describe them and make sure that they were accurate to the periods. And I found this, these ABC news reports about a woman called Dulcie Mason who had lived on the Darling Downs and um, she passed away in, I think, 2018, leaving this collection of 70-odd dresses spanning the 1940s to the 1990s. She was a woman... Yeah, like she and her husband had, a, I think, a cattle property and she just, you know, she was a hardworking woman and her one indulgence was wearing new dresses to the country dances in her area. All around the Darling Downs, they have these, they're basically tin sheds in the middle of paddocks and on a Saturday night, they would host these community dances. There was no alcohol. It would always be like little old men pouring the tea for everyone and they'd have cakes and sandwiches <laughs> And people would go and have a dance. And so Dulcie loved to go to the dances and it was just her thing that she loved to wear really colourful dresses. And so she would save up her pocket money from selling eggs from her chooks and she would buy fabric. And she had a friend called Thelma Butel and Dulcie would go to Thelma and they would like come up with a design for a dress and then Thelma would make it and Dulcie would wear it to the dance. And just this collection over the decades um so it felt really close to I almost felt like I'd manifested it it was really spooky and just felt like a sign that I was on the right track yeah amazing and so yeah I was gonna ask um is are all the dresses that are described based on real pieces so did you use her collection kind of as inspiration then I didn't really I mean the pieces I think are all completely made up I'm t- I'm kind of writer that I just like make things up really quickly and I'm like I'll fix it later and uh <laughs> don't always do that um but the thing about Dulcie's dresses were I mean it's such a time capsule of her life it doesn't really re- reflect what was happening in fashion more broadly at the time she loved bright colors she loved really ornate decoration her dresses would often have beading. Um, she would often use like scraps of leftover fabric to make little bags that she would carry. Um, yeah, they're, they're kind of out there. They're pretty amazing. I've seen a few. Um, the thing with this collection is it doesn't have a permanent home. It was quite sad. She left it to someone um, who then also passed away, like not long after they had inherited the collection. So mm. There are pieces of it, you know, often they'll tour them around the country halls or as fundraisers for, like, small town um, associations, but it feels like it should be in a museum or something. Wow, yeah. What an impression. Yeah, Yeah. that's a very impressive collection. But I suppose because it is so specific, and I guess museums are more looking at, I guess, fashion that's representative. representative. Of the yeah. whole time, yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a oh, such long. a shame. Wow. <laughs> so, obviously, you mentioned sport. We aren't the most sporty people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be honest with you, we aren't the most sporty people, are we, Caitlin? Absolutely. <laughs> but no. Did you watch the Matildas? No. <laughs> well, no. I didn't. No. Um, no. We a bit. Everyone was talking about the lionesses, obviously. Um, 
because we got through a bit further. Oh, right. So yeah. um, it was, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, no, it the, was weird. This is how sporty I am. The only bit of the Matil- of any Matilda's game that I saw was I walked past a giant screen at Homebush that was playing one of the games. Um, and I stopped for maybe like five minutes. Um but I was on my way to see Cirque du Soleil <laughs> on the Sunday night. Um, so it was like, really not. No. Okay. I feel like that says it all. Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, itself. pretty much. That's me. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous. I mean, I knew that I wanted to write about sport and particularly not even um, elite sport, but yeah. social sport, mm. amateur sport and what playing in a team as a grown up can mean. I started playing AFL when I was in my like early thirties was terrible (laughs) at it, but it was um, kind of a turning point for me. It sort of woke me up a little bit, you know, I was a bit stuck in my job and um, I wasn't writing and just something about being out of your comfort zone, learning a new skill, mixing with people that you might not meet otherwise and working together to like get better and um, play together I don't know it was just really kind of magical experience and I thought it would be a really rich thing to mine for a story but I was very conscious like you know a wedding photographer like in my first book is a very easy sell for women's fiction but sport is something that a lot of women don't have a connection to and I think you know, so many of us stop playing sport when we hit puberty or in our teens because we start feeling self-conscious or the uni- the uniforms, you know, are uncomfortable or we don't like putting our body on show. Sometimes Maybe some of us that... just never liked sport in the first place and preferred to sit on the sidelines yeah. with a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's tricky. It's so and... funny, though, that you, you mention all those things because actually, you know, Caitlin and I have both had this experience but not with sport, and that's just because we're not sporty but like people. Going but back to going, other hobbies. Yeah, going back know? to other hobbies. And for me, it was joining a musical for the first time. That's how I met Caitlin. And so yeah. that, that idea that of, of the teamwork, of building, of learning something new, of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, that's how I felt when I was I at 20, maybe, or I just, I was turning 21 and I joined this musical and like that just opened up a whole world of, of different things and also just pushed me out of my comfort zone a bit. And, you know, Caitlin just recently has gone back to doing musicals after moving to Sydney. Yeah. And I'm sure you're finding the same thing of like, but so for, I think though, even though it might not be sport for some people, I think that theme of actually, what can I do? Because again, after school, you don't have that you have your colleagues but you don't really have I don't know who yeah, there's we all just yeah. leave all of these hobbies behind yeah. and maybe for a lot of women it is because we stopped playing sport at some point maybe it's easier for men to continue to play sport mm. or like similar type of things but yeah for whatever well, you start is, doing sporty things that are like maybe more solo like you know you go to the gym or go to yeah. a gym class but there's not that sense of of team Really, it's like of much a team, of a solo a pursuit. Yeah, I could get really deep into this. Like, I feel quite. <laughs> do it. Do it. It's I fine. Mean, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yes, but it's very gendered, it. right? So do we. It's just not about sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the things you're describing, like those solo pursuits, going to the gym or running, so often for women, it's not about 
it can be about the pleasure of moving your body, but it's often coming from a place of, I want to lose weight. I want to look fitter. Like so much of it comes from that enforced objectification or the male gaze or whatever. I just used the male gaze on your podcast. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, Um, that's okay. I mean, we do tackle any book with a feminist punch. So yeah, you know, we're, we're always up for this discussion, but you know, sometimes I think actually it's not even the male gaze, is it? It's like, the the female like us yeah, looking at other women and yeah, yeah I mean I've just read Chloe Dalton's book Girls Don't Play Sport which I would point anyone to that is interested in this kind of conversation because she's an elite athlete like she's represented Australia in I think three different sports she's won an Olympic gold medal for rugby sevens and she's founded this yeah. um, amazing the female athlete project um, so she's really That's articulate cool. on these issues um but, you know, as she points out, like the pathways are so simple for men and it's so much about visibility as well, which is another theme in Love Match. It's this idea that you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited for the generation of girls and young women that are growing up now seeing so much amazing women's sport so much more accessible, yeah. Yeah. whether it's the AFLW, whether it's um, the Matildas. You know, that's really powerful and it really... It was interesting to me to see some women speak out amidst all the joy of watching the Matildas was a kind of grief that it was a future that they had never had access to. Mm. I think Mel Buttle, the comedian, spoke really beautifully about it. Yeah, I'll see yeah, if I was... can find that. Uh, I think was it? Uh, it might have been a Twitter thread or something. I'll see if I can find what she said and link to it because I remember reading that and it was really beautiful and it was about how she had you know it could this have been something that I pursued more you know it's yeah it's really it's really interesting and I do think that like the girls growing up now with more opportunities but also seeing the Matildas in the UK seeing the Lionesses like the Lionesses winning the Euros was huge that's just wonderful like and it's wonderful that yeah it's becoming a mainstream thing whether or not Caitlin and I are into it yeah there are no, still going to be we still celebrate it we still celebrate it's amazing it. and yeah so important yeah and like in love match the pink cockatoos <laughs> and their team you know because like that's the thing as well it's like they start you know they can't really get that many girls to sign up they you know can't get a sponsor no one comes to watch them play like it's a real you know they all try really hard to make it happen throughout the book and it's really amazing to read it's a great story well as a writer you know there's a great arc to it and you can show and I I guess that's why a sport narrative is fun to play with because we've all seen at least one movie that has the cliched kind of sports arc from underdog yeah, and you to... get to like the final at the end yeah exactly yeah so people's reading a story about sport have certain expectations about where it's going to go and so you can play with that and, and subvert it sometimes yeah mm. Yeah, and sport is naturally, I guess, a very fertile ground for storytelling. Like you said, there is that natural, there's the triumph and and the joy and and all this stuff that as a writer you can draw on um, and play with in a story. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the next thing, isn't it? Having stories about female sport is, is the next step after actually having more visibility and having that. And I think it's wonderful like wonderful to see in a novel like yours I think we will see more of it because I think there's growing interest and I'm, I'm sure that there is a subset of romance that is obviously there's a lot of sports romance um, that centers on male athletes 
Um, we talked a little bit th- about this on the podcast, you know, the, the r- hockey romances that everyone was getting very thirsty over. Um, but, I mean, it's interesting how it ties in with romance and I think um, there's a book that's just come out which is set in a women's soccer team um, by the American writer Meryl Wilsner. Um, which is a sapphic romance. Um, and I think we'll see a lot more of that. It's interesting to me, like, women's sport has always been a pretty safe place for queer people in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one aspect where it's interesting to contrast women's sport and men's sport because I, maybe that's one of the silver linings of only formalising so many of these women's sporting leagues so much later than the men's were established. But... Um, I guess it's just much more comfortable or it's uh, it's easier for queer women to be who they are in those spaces, whereas for men it's still like there are oh, no out players. It's, it must be really hard for those. those and blokes. if anything, it's sort of you sort of think of men's sport as a more hyper-masculine environment where, yeah, it would be dangerous to to be queer or to even just not fit the stereotypical norm of a very masculine male like it, it yeah it's it's interesting yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way before that it there is a huge gap it's funny like I think I think it was Bridie Jabour talking about why she loves sport um and it it is because it's a space where men can be emotional like it's acceptable for them to feel these great highs and lows of emotion whether they're on the team or whether it's in a a watching sense Um, but I also went to the women in media conference recently and they had a great panel about women in sport and it was really interesting to hear them talk about how um, the crowd experience when watching women's sport is so different and partly it's because the athletes like approach things differently or you know they gave the example of the Matildas like even when that team didn't win the people watching those games were just happy to go along for the ride they weren't devastated by the loss they still loved the players and and part of that was that the storytelling and the reporting around the team you know there was the Disney documentary that came out ahead of time that really helped people get to know the people in the team and that had this incredible impact where people felt like they knew the players and they had this personal investment and it just changes the way you interact with the sport whereas I think you know the way that um, men particularly have barracked for men's sport traditionally it's it's really quite savage like if your team is losing the fans get cranky and um and again like it's this is why we love doing this podcast is because we get to get into all these discussions that you know themes of books bring up and it's fascinating to hear that and to hear and to think about it in that sense now as well that yeah the way that the game is played is is also influences the way that the fans behave as well it's really exciting (laughs) i'm sorry to make you talk about sport for so long oh no it's it's (laughs) probably the most we've ever talked about sport on the podcast but that's okay yeah probably that's good um but no i think it's i think it's really interesting and i do think even if if like us you're like i'm not a very sporty person there's so many um i guess themes of as you say community building it's all like you making relate friends. to it yeah like making friends as an adult the story is that sarah is so isolated and she yeah. needs to go into town and make some friends <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean haven't we all been there like it's it's so yeah. it's hard to make friends when you when you, also 
going Isn't linking back to yeah. what we said at the start it's hard to make friends if you're the one that moves away from town um and if you move back like it's very hard if you're the one that leaves that town environment um so yeah it can be it can be really difficult but let's talk a little bit more i guess about about your writing and your career so as we said at the start you have been writing for a while you've worked in writing and in journalism did you always want to write a novel though yeah i did i mean that was that was always the dream um and i think like a lot of kids i got to high school and um always loved english always loved writing stories and you know, everyone wants you to think realistically about your future. Um, I was the first person from my family to ever go to university, so it, I was never going to do an arts degree, um, although I did journalism, which probably isn't that different. <laughs> yeah, I look um, back now and I'm like, why did I waste my money on a journalism degree? Um, but yeah, I was in the same, I was in the same boat. Um. <laughs> yeah, so teachers steered me towards journalism because it's like, you're good at English, you should be a journalist. And then I spent the entirety of my degree just like feeling this absolute terror because I'm a pretty introverted person and, you know, everything that I thought about journalism was that it was very confrontational. You know, you have that picture of someone like jamming their foot in mm. someone's door with the camera to get the gotcha. Today, tonight, like running like, down the street after someone. Yeah. Oh. Not my style. What am I going to do? I'm never going to be able to do this. And I was, I was pretty pretty nervous about it. And then I did an internship at the Brisbane Bureau of the Australian um, in my final year. And they had, they still do have some incredible journalists there. You know, Hedley Thomas was there, Tony Kosh. um, And I remember just sort of sitting, working on a story and just listening to Hedley Thomas on the phone. And it wasn't confrontational. It was listening it was curiosity and it was just this absolute gentleness to draw out the trust of someone who you know would never otherwise have their voice heard someone really vulnerable someone who had a horrible experience and he actually gave them a platform to kind of find some justice or find um you know have their voice heard and I was like okay maybe I maybe I can do journalism I mean I never actually worked as a reporter I did an internship at the Walkleys after that and just kind of ended up there forever um so I suppose I always did more more feature writing or um editorial stuff we ran a magazine um at the Walkleys for a long time which I really loved working on um but I suppose through that work at the Walkleys I had really amazing insight into the industry and, and getting to see the very best of journalism every year and not just reporting but photography and cartooning and non-fiction books and documentaries it's um it's really special to get to see yeah how how much talent and skill is in the Australian media and the impact that the best of those stories can have I know you know, it's it's easy to be cynical about mainstream media and there's there's a lot that's not working, but there's also a lot of people working really hard, um, driven by, you know, a really pure impulse to help people. And, um, you know, that's the power that great journalism can have is to change laws, to change policies and change people's lives. So I think it's worth continuing to support that. I mean, absolutely. I, I totally agree. But it's interesting that, like, you know, features were always my thing and, you know, give me six months to work on a story about a camel race. I'm in my element, you know. Um, <laughs> but for me, doing something like that um, and a lot of the stories that still mean the most to me, 
Yeah, I mean, I still watch something like Spotlight, for example. I say this to my husband all the time and say this to Caitlin before as well. Like, I'll watch something like Spotlight and be like, oh, my God, like, the power of journalism. Like, it is so amazing to get laws changed, to get people's voices out. That's incredible. But I don't know if it's like a... I don't know if it's just a doubt within myself that I don't think I could do that because I I also don't want to commit my whole life to it because it is you do see people commit everything to it and I'm simply too lazy for that, um, to be quite honest. <laughs> I want to be at home also reading a book and doing things like this podcast, you know. Um, but for me, the things, like I said, that stick in my mind the most as my favourite stories, one of the reasons I loved doing the camel race is just actually making a difference to one person's life you know it's not just about those big national stories like the power of community and like local and, and regional journalism is is really important and it's been yeah. severely cut over the last 10 years like it's one of the decimated. saddest things about work like so the newspaper that I worked for is now online only but one of the saddest things and I think you know going back to small town life in a in a small town or in a regional city you know I sort of thought oh my gosh like my whole life's been charted in that paper not least because I worked there but you know you have the birth announcements that they used to do you Mm -hmm. have the fact that we used to have like our grade one photos yeah and And then your formal photos like what a big day when they printed our formal photos in the paper and we were so (laughs) overjoyed but that but that is the fabric of a small town like that is and in somewhere like I love that you pulled out the fact that the journalist was there at the races because I could just picture like race social photos people love that we used the whole time we were growing up and the whole time I worked at the newspaper every Monday four pages of pictures from the nightclubs people love that shit that's how you sell a paper (laughs) <laughs> it is it's the photos yeah. that sell a paper yeah. yeah people want to see themselves and but then yeah as a journalist are still traumatic flashbacks of having to go to social <laughs> events and get people's names and you know oh god and this brings us right back around to the <laughs> Queensland chat yeah sorry well, um, I was going to say like off the kind tangent. of the axing of regional journalism is kind of why Mabel has amassed all of this power in the community yeah. because she has kind of started self-publishing gossip on her whatsapp group group. (laughs) which Um, i love that's so great i love it because that's another thing with small towns all the facebook groups and like the facebook pages that have all of the like town gossip and events well i love i love mabel and her and her little whatsapp group and all her gossip and every and the and the whole idea of her being a little bit of a matchmaking service as well was just such a cute Mm -hmm. nod back to like old school and i did love like um, her the first recollection we sort of get is of her debutante ball which is such an old school yeah. country thing and I actually think ABC might have done a bit of an article looking back at it I'll see if I can find it but the Deb ball is just such a I guess such a, a rich part of Australian history <laughs> um, but yeah it was just great to like sort of get that from her perspective um and all the things that used to go into it all the deportment and and all those sorts of things I guess we have we we do and and like you said like old school you know dance halls and all that sort of stuff it is it you bring that to life really well in that like 50s 60s sort of yeah era and I think the ABC was the source of a lot of my um research on that stuff I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure I looked at the Deb Balls piece that you're talking about and it was actually a landline 
story, I think, yeah. called The Last Dance, um, about the country halls. It was so funny because my sister um, now lives out near Cecil Plains and uh, there's a lot of those um, country halls around there and lo and behold, her parents-in-law were in this landline piece um, which was sort of about, and I guess this would have been the early 2000s. It was kind of, they were doing a, a dead ball in the town and, you know, very few people still do it. Um, but I think actually, I think young people have got more interested in it from like an Instagram perspective, like just having the content of getting frocked up yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. has become like there's currency in that again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yes, yeah. we haven't even asked you about how you got published. <laughs> so you're you're working in journalism. You do want to write a novel. So how do you then get your publishing deal? Yeah. So and it was kind of from starting to play footy. You know, it made me reevaluate things a little bit. And I was like, I've got to start writing if I'm going to do this. I need to do it. So I signed up to do. Go for the dream. You got to. I signed up for a course. I did the year of the novel at Writing New South Wales um, with Emily Maguire as my teacher, and she's just amazing. Uh, and so I did that in 2019. I had about probably half of Five Bush Weddings at the end of that, but I sort of had a, I felt like I had enough to keep going with. I was pregnant at that point, so I was like, I've got to finish this book before Your my hard daughter deadline. is born. <laughs> Which we need, as I'm sure you yes. know. Um, so I knew I wanted to enter it in the Banjo Prize. That was kind of my goal, and... Yeah, my daughter, the due date was like the 25th of April and we were like 10 days over it, like I was about to be induced and I finally like finished my manuscript, sent it off to my girls in my writing group and um, yeah, my labour started like immediately after that. So it was good to have that hard deadline. And then didn't get anywhere in the banjo, but it was really good to have um, that sort of impetus and yeah and then the next deadline was going back to work so I was like um I got Emily Maguire paid her to be my mentor and she worked with me to get the book kind of ready to submit to agents by the time I was going back to work so that would have been in early 2021 and was lucky that uh Claire Forster at Curtis Brown picked up Five Bush Weddings and she had gone to uni at UQ in Brisbane so the opening scene of that book which was people dropping their pants on the dance floor to Eagle Rock luckily like she knew the world and she got it <laughs> yeah um I'm gonna so I'm gonna link to like a hack piece about that as well uh for anyone who's not familiar with uh, that <laughs> questionable <laughs> tradition <laughs> um yeah because obviously there's some some issues around it but yeah it's that iconic as well you know what it had never like I just thought it was so funny I was like there was never any I never found it threatening or anything at all and then um when Love and Virtue Diana Reid's book came out and this was sort of when we had Five Bush Weddings out on submission (laughs) she has a scene where it's used in a very menacing way I was like oh oh maybe (laughs) maybe there's something misogynist about this how did this never occur to me anyway still played it for laughs um And yeah, so I found an agent and then she sent it out to publishers. Um, And it was right when we were in that long lockdown in 2021. So Mm. um, yeah, it was a very surreal experience um, hearing from publishers. And I think because of that timing, it kind of struck a chord. You know, everyone was trapped at home and here's this 
book about just going to parties in the bush. <laughs> um, yeah, it um, seemed to resonate. So, yeah, had the very lucky experience of that book going to auction and, yeah, the book came out in 2022. Yeah. Funny story, actually. Penguin sent us... Um, Love, like love match and it was addressed to me and it went to michelle's like old address old, old, in Rocky. like from 2019 old, old. old address and so it, like a stranger um like it just would have been like a mix-up in like you know whatever the system but then like a stranger messaged me on facebook and was like <laughs> i have a parcel for you and i was like oh no who's it from i was like what the hell and i was like oh it's from a publisher that's like gone to an old address by mistake and she said, you know, it's from United Book Distributors. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, can you open it and tell me what it is? And then you can keep it or throw it away or whatever. <laughs> and this, like, stranger, just so I could go back and, like, say, don't use this address anymore. And then I was like, oh, love match. Oh, fun. That'll be good. And I was like, I'll go. And they sent me another copy to my real address. Um, but then I said to this stranger in Rockhampton who lives in Michelle's old rental, like, thank you so much. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, please you are welcome read it give it to a friend donate it like you know don't send it to me that's insane um and she said i've actually just read five bush weddings so this is really great (laughs) she's like so i'll read it so it's so weird how they find people you know like yeah yeah. it was so fun and i'm glad and i'm sure she really would have enjoyed it yeah if she enjoyed yeah (laughs) how funny is that and also um I bought over a copy of Duck Orange for breakfast for my friend Alicia. She started listening to your podcast with Karina, which we're going to ask you about in a minute. Um, and then she said to me the other day, oh, I'm reading this book, Five Bush Weddings, um, because I feel like if I'm listening <laughs> to the podcast, I should, I should read Claire's book as well. I was like, funnily enough, we've just booked Claire for the podcast. <laughs> yeah but she um oh, she, this is great she went and read the blurb for love match and i think it spoiled something in that she was like oh damn it i've spoiled it for myself oh, <laughs> yeah. oh she's like I it's my because... own curiosity getting the better of me yeah. <laughs> this is separate but i yeah. guess it's kind yeah. of a sequel isn't it it's a spin-off it's a spin-off but yes um so our final thing that we want to sort of end on is um your podcast with Karina May two things we love you guys talking Karina May friend of the show um we're loving listening to it hearing all about different tropes Mm -hmm. and things like that tell us a little bit more about the podcast yeah so uh the podcast is called that rom-com pod and i mean karina author of duck a la ronge for breakfast i think i slid into her dms when neither of us was published yet just because i liked her vibe and we decided to meet up and try to write together at the state library but we've never managed to get any writing done together Yeah, we always just end up chatting and we had joked for a while oh we should record this we should do a podcast and I was like nah uh and then I don't know we just kept talking about it and then we're like bugger it let's do it um and you know I think we wanted to focus on romantic comedies and we wanted to talk about them from the perspective of like consumers and lovers of that culture rather than as writers I mean we we try to give a few insights but it's mostly just about the stories that we love um so it's looking at rom-coms from uh the you know contemporary new releases as well as the kind of classics that we grew up with um films as well as books 
But I think what we really want to try to do is platform Australian authors in the genre. You know, we've all seen how many bestseller lists Emily Henry is on and, you know, as she should be, those books are excellent. But I think we wanted to be able to... have plenty of good contenders. Yeah. Yeah. We just wanted to be able to offer people who, you know, might have read more of those viral... Um, or, you know, TikTok famous books just to say we've got a lot of talent here at home and if you like this, you might like something from an Australian author. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what we're trying to do. We, we break it down by focusing on a different trope each episode. I think we've done Forced Proximity and Enemies to Lovers and Fake Dating and we've got some more coming I can't even remember now. <laughs> but what we drop them every two weeks. What are you going to do when you run out of trope? Oh, there are so many. You could get more specific. Yeah. There are so many, but yeah, they do get really granular. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're going to investigate whether we might be able to do interviews, but I think there's so many other elements that you can talk about. I know yeah. we'd love to do something about like the sassy best friends or um, yeah. mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to do something about uh, romance writers as characters or you know there are so yes. many stories where yeah. there is someone who's a publisher or an author mm-hmm. yeah um, totally yeah I know the bookish wrong I mean you've got heaps to be going on don't as well yeah there's <laughs> believe me I'm sure you won't run out of yeah I don't think you'll soon. run out of, of anything soon of course but yeah. yeah I I really love that and I'm really enjoying it we will of course link to it um oh thanks for listening yeah no it's I mean yeah, yeah we we, we love a good rom-com don't we Caitlin <laughs> It's so funny, though. There's something in the air. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to Love on Campus, which is um, three academics in South Australia, but they're talking about romance in a, you know, Karina and I are like vibes and they're like, you know, academic rigour. <laughs> they're much more like analytical and looking at the, like the actual theory um, behind it. It's really interesting. Amazing. Oh, well, that add that to the list as well. But it's like when... Um... I would listen to You're Wrong About and also Just the Gist. And if they ever did a similar episode, you know, Rosie, I think Rosie listens to um, You're Wrong About as well. And she said in a Just the Gist episode, she's like, that's where you go to get like the university degree of this topic. And like, we're just the gist. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's like more fun facts and kind of the general vibe. The the vibes of the thing, you know, whenever I think of vibes now, I mean, you guys, will get this because classic Aussie cinema but whenever I hear people being like the vibe I'm like I just think of that scene in the Claire's gone you know what I'm gonna say it's the vibe it's Marbo that's that's the case it's just the vibe it's just the vibe (laughs) it's Marbo it's the vibe it's a classic classic scene from the castle for anyone who's wondering um what the hell we're talking about such a quotable iconic movie um, which yeah. I'm sure people could write a whole thesis on um, about Australian culture. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. So, so when good. I was living in New York and I had met Dave, who's now my husband, um, and obviously had a little like crew of Aussie expats there, and we decided that we would make them watch, make our American friends watch the castle as sort of a cultural exchange education kind of thing. And it was only when we had the movie going that we realised it was like an American overdubbed Version. What? I'm so, horrified. Yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. Oh <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever heard. So, like, the mum is serving up, it's Rissell's love, but she says meatballs instead. Oh my and god. And they're just like, no. 
all of these little things. No. Yeah, it was. I mean, surely that kind of thing makes a movie like that completely pointless. It does. Why? That is so strange. Why don't we get stuff overdubbed oh, wow. to explain all the Americanisms? This is to get me on my high horse about this. But, yeah, that, that's crazy. Oh. What a butchering of a movie. That's horrendous. Yeah, shockingly, my books haven't found much of an audience over there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just, like, point blank, like, no, I will not be changing this? <laughs> Look, no one asked. Uh. I have to say, my, my mother-in-law, I think, is the source of all of my sales uh, in the U.S. Oh, bless which, her. God bless her. Um, I think everyone in the Midwest might have received a copy of Five Bush Weddings <laughs> because beautiful Terry bought it for them. But I actually like put a glossary on my website because oh, I was them. like, yeah, there's a lot here. I think I need to do a new one for Love Match. I know there's like tinnies and pashing and all kinds I of things. I literally, okay, I was reading this and I sent this exact text to Caitlin. I said, Caitlin, can we just talk for a second about how underused the insult mole is? And it's in, like, the opening pages. Yeah, and I was like, it really is. <laughs> it gives me How very... How do we end up spelling it? M-O-L-L. Yeah, see, I think I had it as mole, M-O-L-E. And it was a bit of a point with the editor where we were like, how do you spell that? Yeah, I mean, very puberty Very puberty blues vibes on that one. Because obviously all throughout that. TV show and, and the original book and stuff. <clears throat> That's the insult of choice. But yeah, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I've not heard that. <laughs> Rack so off your mole. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Really great humour. Really enjoyed. Um. <laughs> well, this note pretty much yeah. captures how much fun we've had talking about all of this stuff <laughs> yeah. during this interview, Claire. So we really appreciate all of the little winding tangents um, we've been on together. Yeah, thank you um, for bearing thank with Thank you so us. much for joining us. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. And I, it, it got quiet out there, it looks like. Dot's yeah. gone to bed, thank goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you for your patience oh it's our pleasure let our listeners know where they can find and follow you please ah um i am on instagram at claire fletcher writer um i have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up to uh on my website yeah i'll just send you some links it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. great we will include the them. Pod, of yeah course. and rom-com pod yeah yes exactly yeah. oh wonderful well on that note we will say farewell thank you so much for joining us um we obviously really enjoyed it thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me caitlin at just a bookish babe if you liked this episode please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review